All right, thanks for coming this afternoon, Super Bowl Sunday. Nice to have you with us. All right, the marshmallow test. That video was actually a recreation of the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment. And the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment was a study, a scientific to clinical study on delayed gratification. It was conceived in 1972 by a professor at Stanford University. And in this study, like we just saw, a child was offered a treat, a choice between either one marshmallow or, if they could wait, two. The uh, clinician would then wait outside. The researcher would leave the room for about 15 minutes before returning with a second treat if uh, it had been earned. It was so simple, even a small child could understand the reward of waiting. Some could and some could not. But of course, the study didn't end that day. The children in that test were then studied for the next several decades that followed. Researchers found that in the many decades since, the children who were able to wait longer and earn a second marshmallow tended to have better life outcomes as measured by higher SAT scores, uh, better educational accomplishment, better body mass index, vocational earnings and salary, etc. Is that surprising? Or is that about what you'd expect if somebody, even at a young age, can demonstrate the concept of delayed gratification? Do you guys understand what the study is teaching us? Studies have proven that you will have a better life if you're patient. This afternoon, as we continue our study of the nine virtues that Paul tells us about in Galatians 5, 22 to 24, uh, the Bible is also telling us that a Christian should have these things in increasing measures. The fourth thing on this list is patience. In other words, 2,000 years before the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment, the author of the book of James is telling us the same thing that the research proves. Your life will be better for many reasons if you are able to become a more patient person. My favorite part of that video was that uh, you could kind of tell right away who was going to pass it and who wasn't, right? Uh, another thing that I liked about that study is it's really unpredictable who is going to be able to be patient and who's not. Uh, there was like this pair of kids. They looked like they were siblings, a brother and a sister, and one was easily able to get through without temptation. And the other one, same family, same social background, just ate that marshmallow right away. Well, the good news of today's Bible passage from the book of James is that James is telling us that not only will patience make your life better, but it's something that we can all grow better at with God's help. Something that God wants to help us to get better at. So let's study today, uh, what today's text teaches us about becoming people of greater patience. Let's do it in two parts. Uh, I hope you grabbed a bulletin when you came in. Uh, first, let's study what today's text teaches us about uh, becoming people of greater patience. And, and in the first section, let's look at how James uncovers some insight from the Bible on why it's so difficult for us to be patient people doesn't come naturally. And secondly, let's dive into our main text, which is James 5, 7 uh, to 11, and let's identify four things that God wants to teach us about patience through James' writings. Some of you are already bored, right? Already impatient. James is here to help. All right. There's a couple things in the book of James that the author tells us that prove to me 
that God created us and knows all about our inner workings. There's a couple things that James tells us in uh, chapter 4 and chapter 5 that are things that, like, I would have never ever told anybody else about myself. But somehow, this author 2,000 years ago knew that they were true about our inner secrets. Let me share two really insightful observations from James that help us understand, help us shed light on why patience is so difficult for us as humans. Let's first look at James 4, 1 to 3, and listen to this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from within your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now, James James writes kind of in a harsh tone. Sometimes you have to kind of run it through a filter, soften it up a little bit to figure out what it is that he's saying. Here in James 4, 1 to 3, James is telling us that our desires for immediate gratification is stronger than our desire to patiently wait for the non-immediate blessings that God has for us. James is telling us here in James 4, 1 to 3, that spiritually we all fail the marshmallow test. When we have a choice between enduring something difficult and hard and trusting that God will use it for good things and blessings in our future, or just taking the immediate thing in front of us, it's telling us here that our desire for immediate pleasure is always fighting against this hope for a better life that God promises us. We're often quick to rush to the thing that we can just have right now instead of patiently endure for the better blessings that God promises in our future. When you guys, have you guys ever gone, drove through, uh, take a drive through Yellowstone uh, in the summertime and all of a sudden there's a bear or an elk or a moose off in the brush? What happens? There's immediately a traffic jam and a bunch of overweight people from Iowa jump out of their car with their phones and and just chase the animals into the woods because they want to get that shot that they can show everybody else of that amazing wildlife that they saw. But uh, I, I literally this last July saw somebody grab their young child and chase a bear into the brush to try to get a good picture. Not, not a good idea, right? But their desire for that picture that they could show everybody else was so strong that they kind of lost their mind and chased after that thing that they wanted right at that moment. I'm sure that everybody here has at least one friend that's just naturally gifted at getting incredible shots of wildlife. And what does that entail? What do you have to do if you actually want that magnificent shot? First of all, you gotta, you got to scout it out, right? you got to find a place in the park where animals are crossing uh, or getting a drink, coming across a clearing. you gotta, you got to scout out a couple places. You have to wake up before the sun comes out, and you have to wait at that spot. You have to have good equipment. You're not going to get a good, safe picture of a magnificent creature on your iPhone. Uh, so people invest in uh, lenses and really good equipment. And then you have to be patient. You might have to go out two or three or four mornings. You might have to sit out uh, for a couple hours downwind where the animals can't smell you. So having said that, how many people do you think take that second approach versus the people that just slam on their brakes, put their RV in park, and, and, and run into the woods to get that picture? 
James is telling us here that uh, we're so quick to take the immediate thing, even when that comes in opposition to the better, more patient approach. I think we all would agree that that's something that's true about us. We're just, we, just, we tend to go for the immediate gratification, even when it comes uh, in opposition to the, the, the longer, more patient approach. Another thing that James tells us about how hard it is for us to be patient, something that's probably true about you that we don't like to admit is true about us, he says that here in uh, James 4, 13 to 16. Listen to this. And let me know if this is true about you. He says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this city or that city, we'll spend a year there, we'll carry on our business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. Again, James kind of writes things in a harsh way. That's just his wording. That's just his personality. We've got to soften it up a little bit if we want to uh, understand what he's saying. But James is saying that deep down, we know we don't have as much control over life as we would like to have. So our impatience, as a result, often flares up and we become demanding because of the false sense of control that it brings. I want you to just think to yourself, what was the last thing that you really freaked out about? What was the last thing that caused you to yell at somebody or immediately complain to somebody uh, else after the situation was over? I think if you're really honest, you'll find that it really wasn't that big of a deal. But for some reason, you didn't feel respected or you didn't feel control over the situation. So you responded in a way, gave you a false sense of control. I do the same thing. James is telling us that sometimes when we have these petty power trips, it's just a human reaction to the lack of control over the situation that we know that we don't have. My father, his whole life, has been a super patient person. I can't even think of many times when my dad got mad. But for some reason, he would freak out if he ever had to wait in the doctor's office. I don't know why that is, but if he ever went to a doctor's appointment and had to wait like more than a minute, he would just lose his temper and he would freak out. And I was thinking about that this week. I was like, why is it that if we have to wait for five or six minutes in the doctor's office, we start to get super mad, but we'll wait for six or seven minutes for a table at a restaurant and not really think twice. And I think it kind of illustrates what Paul is talking about here. When we have to go see a specialist, when the doctor is going to give us the report on our blood pressure or our heart rate or something like that, it subconsciously makes us fearful because we're about to hear something that's out of our control. And we don't like to wait. And so we freak out and we yell at the nurse because it gives us an immediate sense of control over something that we know ultimately we don't have that much control over. You might be able to think of a better example than that, but I think James is saying something that's really insightful here in James 4, 13 to 16. A lot of times our impatience and our temper flares up because it's a reaction to the lack of control that we really feel at that time. I think we could go on and on and talk for a long time about how hard it is to be patient, uh, but uh, the Bible's not just trying to make us feel like we failed. James wants to teach us and he wants to help us grow in our ability to demonstrate patience to a watching world.
So let's wrap up with um, ways that we can get better at the marshmallow test, right? Let's talk about four things that James is teaching us here that help us to become more patient. And as we start to look at the four things from today's passage, I just want to take a really quick moment and say, the Bible, as we follow Jesus, we become more virtuous and better people, but that's not the Bible's main intent, right? If you go to a church that's just trying to make you an outwardly better person, I think the pastor is a little bit off track. I think what James is really explaining to us here, I think what Paul is really talking about in Galatians 5, which is kind of our overarching idea for this sermon series, is that when we understand the gospel, when we understand that God looked down at us and our sin and our rebellion and our defiance and loved us so much that he sent Jesus to take our place in judgment so that we could go through our time on this earth with God's presence inside of us, right? Like when we believe the gospel and we live yielded to God's authority the best that we can, the fruit of who God is is going to show in our lives, right? So we don't labor through a sermon like this to just try to be outwardly better people. We take passages like this seriously so that we can show a watching world that God lives inside of us. And if God lives inside of us, we probably shouldn't be lashing out at those around us when we have to wait 15 minutes to get on the ski lift, right? God lives inside of us. There should be the attributes of God including patience. All right, so the first thing that uh, we see in today's passage about how we can grow in our ability to be more patient is that a Christian can live with patience and perseverance because the best is yet to come. If you guys kind of skim over what James is saying here in James 5, 1 to 6, this might be his harshest statement in the whole book. He says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Okay, there's not a lot of Christian bumper stickers that have that verse on it. That's really harsh. He goes on for five or six verses and talks about how impatient and how ugly some rich people are. But then he contrasts that with something in verse 7 when he says this, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the, Lord is, the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. In other words, James uh, is giving us a really beautiful contrast here. He's saying that some people are impatient and angry and they grumble because they're, they've already experienced their best. Okay? They don't believe in a life after death. They think this world is finite. You have a limited time, and that's all there is. And so somebody with that kind of mindset is going to be angry as they near the end of life because they, for them the best has already happened. But then you contrast the hypothetical example of this angry rich person who's already experienced the best that they're going to experience in life with a farmer who just planted their crops. And what happens to a farmer who just planted their crops? They're tired, they're dirty, they're worn out, but they know that the best is yet to come. They know that a two or three months later after a bunch of rain, all that labor is going to produce a beautiful harvest of fruit or vegetables or whatever their crop is. 
And so the first thing that James is teaching us here on patience is that a Christian can be patient more so than somebody who's not a believer because our best is yet to come. James is specifically telling us that we can withstand. He's telling the people in his church that they can withstand the persecution from these rich people that they're experiencing because those rich people have already experienced their best. But for the Christians in James' church, like their best is yet to come. Let me ask you guys a couple questions. If you believe that you're going to spend eternity in heaven, can you spend nine minutes waiting in school, pick up traffic, without losing your temper. Another question. If you're going to spend, if you believe that you're going to spend eternity in heaven, a city of light and a city of goodness, a city of God's presence, can you spend that 15 minutes waiting to get on the ski lift without complaining to whoever's around you? If you're going to spend a million years with Jesus, the complete fulfillment of love, Can you go your sophomore year without a boyfriend? Can you go another year without giving you a spouse? Right? If you have a loved one who is deteriorating, or if you have a loved one that's been taken from you before you are ready to say goodbye, and you believe the gospel truth of Luke 24 that tells us that Jesus Christ came back to earth with a resurrected body and hugged the disciples and ate food with them, Can you live with joy for the next decade in joyful anticipation, knowing that you'll spend eternity with that loved one again? Do you understand how the gospel changes our perspective? Because the best is yet to come. All right, this next one is challenging for all of us, especially for me. The second thing that James teaches us about patience in today's passage is that grumbling angers the Lord. Okay? We all know that grumbling angers dad, right? We all know that grumbling angers teachers. But it tells us here in James 5.8 that grumbling angers the Lord and a believer will face judgment for it. Listen to what it says in James 5.8. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. You know, sometimes... Uh, we're reading the translated version of something and just the original wording, the original language, helped us understand something that maybe becomes lost in translation. The Greek word that it's talking about here is sometimes translated as long-suffering. Today we're just translating it as patience. But in Greek the word is makrothumos. Now we all know what the word macro means because we still use it today. What does macro mean? It means bigger. It means longer. Okay? And thumos means anger. So what James is saying in the original language is that God wants us to have long anger. He wants it to take a long time before you become angry. He wants us to be long-suffering. Okay? What is the essence of grumbling? If God wants us to be long to get angry, grumbling and sarcasm is like the quickest way to express our discomfort, our, 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 dis, uh, our, um, our, our just uh, discontentment, right? If we're sarcastic, if we grumble, it's because we're the opposite of being long to anger. We're taking the quickest possible way to let the waitress or the teacher or the pastor or our mom or our dad or our spouse to know that we are not content, right? Um, 
C.S. Lewis has a quote that I, help, that I think helps us explain this concept a little bit more. Uh, he says this, Hell begins with a grumbling mood. Hell begins with a grumbling mood. You're always complaining. You're always blaming others. But you're just still distinct from it. You may even criticize it in yourself and wish you could stop it, but there might come a day when you can't stop it any longer. There will be no you left to criticize the mood or even enjoy it, but just the grumble itself, going on forever like a machine. It's not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there is something growing which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. C.S. Lewis is a little bit over the top here, just like James is in some of the things that he says. But I really think that that's an insightful quote because he's kind of saying there's two seeds that are planted in your soul and you can water or cultivate either one. James is telling us to water the seeds of contentment. And the way that we cultivate that seed of contentment is that we're patient. We're long to get angry. But the opposite of that is grumbling and being sarcastic and being quick to express our displeasure in a situation. And I think what this C.S. Lewis quote is helping us understand is that when we're sarcastic, when we grumble, we're doing the opposite of nurturing that seed of patience and contentment. And we're very quickly nurturing and watering and feeding that impulse within us to always be angry, to always be bitter, and to always be discontent. We live in a culture where we would even tell somebody that it's therapeutic to be sarcastic or to grumble. But James is telling us in no uncertain terms, it's the opposite of the spirit that God wants us to live with. Patience is evidence to those around you that you believe God is good, that you believe God is in control, that you believe there's blessings and good things in your future, Whereas grumbling is the ever-growing seed of discontentment that the devil wants to spread through our lives and relationships like weeds and thistles and thorns. So that's a challenge for sure. The third thing that James is teaching us in this passage about patience is that he's giving us examples of the benefits of patience and perseverance. Let's get a quick Old Testament lesson here in James 5. Uh, 10 to 11, he says this, Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. And you've heard of Job's perseverance, and you've seen what the Lord finally brought about. Okay, so James throws us out two examples here. He says, think of the prophets in the Old Testament, and think of Job. Now, what are those characters have in common. There's over a dozen prophets, and we are probably familiar with the story of Job. Each one of them experienced new spiritual life and new discovery, life-changing dynamic discoveries about God after enduring long suffering. Let's take the example of Jeremiah first. In Jeremiah 16, verse 2, God tells Jeremiah, his prophet, that he's not going to have a wife and he's not going to have a family. In Jeremiah 26, 8, God tells Jeremiah that because of the message that he's going to consistently preach to Israel, everybody's going to hate him. In uh, Jeremiah 32, 2, it tells us that because, because of his message, Jeremiah was sent to prison. Okay? 
That's a tough job to be a prophet sometimes. But because of the insights that Jeremiah gained being faithful to God, even in those hard things, he was able to go on and to make this incredible declaration in Jeremiah 29, 10 to 14. Listen to this. This is what the Lord said, When 70 years are completed for ba- in Babylon, I'll come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back into the good land. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. And then you'll call on me and come and pray to me and I'll listen to you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I'll be found by you, declares the Lord, and I'll bring you back from captivity. I'll gather you from all the nations in places where you've been banished and I'll bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. In other words, the prophet, through his own experience, knows that God is going to do dynamically good things when the suffering is over. We're so quick to hear that uh, verse from Jeremiah 29, 11, that God has good plans for you, uh, not to uh, uh, plans to prosper. But we so often take it out of the context of those other verses when God is basically saying, after many decades of being a refugee, then you will prosper, right? It's only something that they're going to experience with patience. There's a really beautiful passage at the end of Job. You guys are probably familiar with the story of Job. Job was a rich and prosperous and respected member of his community. His children tragically passed away. He lost all of his riches. Uh, his friends and his wife said, God has is, God is forgotten about you. Just curse him and die a lonely, old, miserable person. Job doesn't just necessarily accept everything that's happening. He spends dozens of chapters of the beautiful poetry wrestling with God and trying to figure out why this is all happening to him. We don't ever get a clear answer, but we do get this incredible light bulb moment in Job 42.5 when Job says this, God, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. He's come to see God because of the patience that he has that helps him endure the suffering that he went through. In other words, James is using two examples of how patience and endurance leads somebody to new dynamic spiritual life and life-changing discoveries about God. Another advantage of patience. And as we wrap up, the fourth thing that James teaches us about patience here in uh, James 5.11 is probably my favorite thing, something that I hope stays in your mind all week. James kind of wraps up this uh, little mini-sermon by saying, patience is what allows you to display the compassion and the mercy of the Lord. Patience is what allows you to display the compassion and the mercy of the Lord. This world, this world is searching for love and this world is searching for a source of compassion and mercy. And James is telling us here that they will only see the Lord's compassion and mercy if we can demonstrate it in our lives. Here's the conundrum, right? Like here's the irony. You can only show compassion and mercy when somebody's what? When somebody's immature and sinful, right? Um, When I was a middle schooler, I was obnoxious and out of control, okay? I want my kids to put their hands over their ears right now, okay? 
When I was in middle school, I lied. I didn't do my homework. Uh, I didn't do the things I was supposed to do. I was constantly goofing off. One illustration of that is my parents saved up some money and sent me to Boy Scout camp the summer between 5th and 6th grade, right? So I had this opportunity to ride horses and shoot archery and learn how to build campfires and sleep under the stars and all these wonderful things that I wish I would have taken advantage of. But me and a buddy had a good idea when it was time for Merit Badge class sign-up. We came up with this idea that if we didn't go with the rest of the kids and sign up for classes, we could skip every single class all week long, and as long as we weren't on that sign-up list, nobody would ever know that we weren't there. Nobody would ever knew that we, would, we were skipping the class, right? Because the classes were run by a different set of leaders than were in our little camping groups. So uh, it was basically like a rated G version of the story of the prodigal son, right? Like we just had wild living all week long. We would go to like the snack shop and we would play ping pong and buy junk food all day long when everybody else was in class. And that's just an example of the disregard we had for the opportunities that the people that loved us were trying to give us, right? We were kind of in a harmless way, but also defiant and kind of living in a a disrespectful way towards those that were trying to give us great opportunities. Well, around my junior or my senior year of high school, I met the Lord. I'd heard about him, but like Job, now I saw him and now I knew him. And I realized that God had loved me not only in that moment, but all the way up to that point. I realized that when I was at my most disobedient and disrespectful, God still loved me at that point and he was patient waiting for me to get to the point where I would understand what Jesus had done for me and the way that he wanted to change my life. And I tell that story because a large response to that realization was that I then became a middle school pastor, like a pastor, a youth pastor, a pastor to middle school students. And sometimes on an overnighter, sometimes on a retreat, sometimes on a mission trip, another adult leader would come to me and they would say, how can you possibly be this patient? How can you put up with these monsters? Right? And the answer was that I had experienced the compassion and the mercy of the Lord. And that moved me to want to show the compassion and the mercy of the Lord to others. Okay? Patience allows you to display the compassion and the mercy of the Lord. If you think of the difficult situations in your life that you're going through right now, I'd like to suggest that James is telling you that he wants to use those opportunities to show the love, the compassion, and the mercy and the patience of the Lord to those people that are giving you such an exasperating time right now in the presence. So I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward and close our service. And as they do, let me just wrap up with this summary statement. James is telling believers that we should be known by our patience. But it's not because we're just supposed to be outwardly good people. It's because God wants the world to see the love and the compassion and the mercy that he has for others through us as we demonstrate that to others. I hope that you feel challenged through James 5, 7 to 11. 
to be more patient, to let the Holy Spirit help you grow in this area, not to just be a goody-goody, not to just be an outwardly good person, but so that the watching world would see that God dwells inside of you.